Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the My Fit Podcast. This week on the show, I bring back my friend James Hobart. I had James on for the first time back in 2019, is almost two years ago to the day. And that episode is still a top three most downloaded MyFit podcast episode. So if you enjoy this one today, be sure to go back to episode 37 if you want to hear more from James Hobart. Uh, I met James back in 2014 down in Cookville, Tennessee. And since then, we've competed against each other on the competition floor. We've shared coaching ideas off the floor and obviously crushed a couple podcasts in between. It's been a fun friendship to kind of cultivate over the years and somebody that I really look up to in the space, somebody that I want to be more like. And I think you guys will really like kind of his thought process and way of, of life and way of coaching. As most of you already know, James is a high-level CrossFit competitor. He's competed at the highest level as an individual. He's won championships on multiple teams and has competed recently as a master's athlete. James has also worked on the CrossFit seminar staff for nearly 10 years and has accumulated a couple hundred seminars under his belt. On top of all that, James has owned and operated CrossFit affiliates and is now currently the man behind CAP CAP, which is CrossFit Affiliate Programming. In my personal opinion, James is the pinnacle of the sport, not only as a competitor, but also just as a person, coach, and a friend. He has a ton of knowledge, and if there was a CrossFit Hall of Fame, James would surely be in it. Some of the topics we got into today were first talking about his reflections of the CrossFit Games and competing as a master's athlete. James just turned 35, so he is eligible for the next division of 35 to 39. He's a very humble individual, so he doesn't post a lot about his competition side of things, but he's very, very fit. And I just wanted to get a little bit of an inside scoop of what was it like uh, leading up into the games? What was some of his thought processes going through the weekend? And how was competing as a master's athlete different from being on a team or as an individual? After that, we talked about how to view longevity in the sport of CrossFit. I really enjoyed his answer to that. And we talked about his the future of CrossFit and his opinions about Eric Rosa. As most people know, Eric took over uh, CrossFit about a year ago, and James has kind of been working closely uh, in that realm. And I wanted to hear what his thought process was like with Eric and kind of what his uh, relationship was like as well. After that, we talked about the importance of doing hard things and getting uh, comfortable being uncomfortable. James recently has been given working with Tosh is a, is a former Marine, somebody that uh, basically goes through really, really difficult workouts to improve their mental mindset. And I wanted to dive in deeper to see what those were and hear about how some uh, of us uh, mere mortals can do some more of that type of training to improve our mindset. 
And then the second half of the show, we got into coaching, which is kind of the meat and potatoes, something that James is really passionate about. And something I really wanted to do was get into some of the difficult coaching scenarios that coaches have to um, face and overcome. One of the main um, missions of this show is to give you guys applicable pieces of advice that you can take into your daily lives, whether it's coaching, mindset, nutrition, whatever it is. I want to be able to give you guys tips that you can take into your life right away. And so I asked on my Instagram, some of the most difficult coaching scenarios when coaching and conducting group fitness classes. And I got a lot of responses. And so we went through what are some of the 10 most difficult coaching scenarios and how can we overcome them? And we talk about everything, everything from kids running rampage through the gym to how to be more direct with members to even dealing with excessive body odor. So lots of different things to tackle there. I think it's very applicable. And James did a great job crushing all 10 of those uh, difficult and delicate scenarios. Let me close down with some quick hitters talking about some of the best pieces of advice that coach that uh, James has ever got when it comes to coaching. So like I said, James is a, an incredible individual, somebody that's very likable. I think you guys will enjoy this show. And if you do, dial it back to episode 37. We talk even more about coaching. I remember we talked a lot about the RX versus scale mentality and, and uh, just a bunch of things that have to do with cro- CrossFit and coaching classes. So if you enjoy that, make sure to dial it back. Also, if you enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating and review. Uh, both of those things help my show grow tremendously, and it just makes my day when they pop up as notifications. So thank you guys all for the continued support. If you haven't yet, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the My Fit Podcast to get the latest uh, news podcasts and any sort of clips that you may have missed. All right, without further delay, let's get to this fun episode with my friend James Hobart. Let's go. James Hobart, welcome back to the My Fit Podcast. It's almost exactly two years ago that you were on the show and you still hold a top three all-time <laughs> downloaded My Fit Podcast episode. So it's a special place. It's special to have you back on. I appreciate you taking the time two years later. No, I'm really happy to be here. I know um, I probably gave you some of the, you know, uh, uh, some scheduling woes, but um, DJ, I'm, I'm grateful you followed up. So yeah, really happy to be here. Good to see you again. Awesome, man. So a tough loaded question here, but it's been two years since we've talked last, since listeners have last heard you. What are some of the things, some of the big things that have happened in your life in the last two years? Um, I, was I married the last time we talked? You just got married. Just got married. Yeah, just got married. All right. So just celebrated two-year anniversary. Um, moved to Colorado. That's That was a new one. Um, we, uh, we essentially... Our company, Hamplan, we grew Hamplan. Hamplan was acquired by CrossFit. Um, Hamplan survived COVID, which was wild. Um, I shouldn't say survived COVID, right? Because it's still going on. But um, that was a, a journey. And that was a real turning point um, for us in the business and my outlook on that business and programming and the fitness business in general. So that was really interesting. Um, competed at the CrossFit Games as a master. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, which was, was, was all joy, but, um, very unexpected. And I, I think, um, I think that covers the big things. I think that covers the big things. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about competing as a master. What was that like leading up to? You said it was a surprise. Walk me through that time. Yeah. I've told this story a couple of times. And, um, so really I was just kind of, every year I do the open, I always do the open and I'm a huge advocate of it. It's kind of like when people ask me, I'm like, it's your, it's your annual checkup for fitness. It's the same as going to the doctor, getting your blood work done, getting your heart rate and, you know, and you turn your head and cough and all that good stuff. And so I always try and participate in the open because I 
I like it. I like the surprise of it. Um, you know, I've participated in the open in a lot of different ways. And honestly, the year that I was fortunate enough to test out the open workouts, it was also kind of a bummer because I didn't get to have the surprise of like, oh, what's the next one? Um, I really love that aspect of it, kind of like a little kid that way. So I got to do the open again. And, you know, I've had a goal. I always try and stay within top 200. And uh, this year, I believe I fell out of that. I think I was still in the top 300 in the world for just everybody, which is good. You know, um, when you have insane expectations about yourself, though, you might look at that and you might be like, I was, I was pretty frustrated with my performance, but it was reflective of where my fitness and training was at, which is, which is appropriate. And um, my, let's see, my wife's sister, that's your sister-in-law. Is that who that is? Yeah. Um, my sister-in-law, Gabby, texted me and she goes, hey, you're doing great in the open. And I wrote back and I was like, well, you know, I appreciate it, but I was like, I don't think I'm doing that well. And she goes, no, 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 no. She goes, go look at your age category. And so at that point, I sit at the bottom of my age category for masters. Like I am the... You know, I am as close as you can be to not being a master as possible, but just making it into the 35. So anyway, long story short, I went and checked my age category. I was in the top 20, went back home, had a conversation with Cassandra, my wife. I said, hey, I think I could actually maybe make it to the, the online qualifier. And I said, I'm going to start retesting workouts. And she said, all right, great. And then I made it to the online qualifier. And that was madness, but really fun. And I was like, I think I can make it to the games as a master's. And made it to the games as a master's and it just slowly evolved. I mean, long story short, it was, it was nothing but a pleasure. I had no intention to do it all year leading up to it at this point for a million and a half reasons. I couldn't be happier that I did it. And, um, you know, the list goes on from the community to just actually, I forgot how much I loved competing, um, to just participating in the sport again, being back out of the games this year after essentially a year off from mm-hmm. all the social distancing and shutdowns from COVID. Um, it was all upside. I really, awesome. I wish we did more pull-ups at the games. That's my only complaint. Um, other than that, you know, it's just like, it was killer, man. Um, that's I, awesome. yeah, I don't, I don't have a bad thing to say about it. Yeah. That's so cool. And if it's so that people that don't know you finished second, you crushed it, man. You did you had such a great weekend. Talk to me a little about what were some of the lessons learned? What were some of your thoughts? I mean, you've competed at very, very high levels on a team and individual. So how is this different? Talk to me a little bit more about that weekend. Um, well, you know, it, I, I've always said like I've, I was someone, I'm someone who's like, I'm not a go out and have fun guy. I'm like, I'm just going to go do it for fun. Like, that's just not my personality. Um, and I went into this games and honestly, I looked back on my year of training and I won't say I was going there to have fun. Um, but my expectation, you know, in relation to my training was like, well, I'll do what I do. I'll, you know, it's it just, I don't, I didn't expect to do well, you know, and well for me, and again, this might be unrealistic is winning. Like that's, you know, and that's not to sound arrogant or cocky. You're thinking I deserve it, but it's like in any time in the past when I've competed at the CrossFit games, the goal has been to go and win. Right. Um, and so I went there this year and I was like, Hey, look, you know, even though I, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to throw haymakers and I'm going to try and knock some dudes down. Um, I'm, I'm very aware of where my training is at right now. And um, after day one, so I went out there and I went, I did the run and I had not been running and I finished exactly where I should have gotten past. The run was really funny because they ran us with like a bunch of 17 year olds, 18 year olds, um, guys who are older than us. And I remember this one guy passed me at point in the run and I look over at him and he goes, Hey man, don't worry. I'm not in your age group. 
I was like, yeah, that makes it even freaking worse. Uh, you know, and I, the, this little young stud 16 year old just runs by me like he's on cruise control. So, you know, that was appropriate and humbling and, and what I needed. And at the end of the day, I, you know, I forgot where I finished at the end of the day. I think I was top 10 or so in the top 10. And I went home to that night to our hotel with my, my wife. And I told Cassandra and I said, I said, Hey, this has been really fun. And the games was so fun for us. And I said, I said, I'm going to be a different guy tomorrow. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to be a nice guy tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to be uptight and I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be really focused. I was like, cause I think I can get in the top five. And then when I got in the top five, I was like, I think I can get on the podium. And so a lot of it, I think it was, I just forgot how, what it felt like to compete. And I forgot like that. I, I do like, I'm not the fittest athlete. I'm a good competitor and how jacked up I get for, from competing. Um, you know, I snatched 12 pounds over what I, ex- what I expected would be my best, like mm-hmm. my luckiest snatch. And that's just because I got in the Coliseum and I hit my first lift and I looked around and I was like, oh shit, this is what this feels like. You know, like you just didn't, you don't remember what, how, how empowering and like exciting that is. So um, it was kind of this slow climb, you know, a lot of it was unexpected, but kind of the more I got into it, the more I realized, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. You know, I still got some tricks up my sleeve. Um you know, Kyle Kasserbauer was so fit. And there is a huge part of me that was like, I wish I had paid more attention to my training and made this a goal all year round. And not because, I, and, I, and I don't ever want to say like, because I would have beat him. It's just because like, you want to fight the best guy the hardest you possibly could. You know, like, I feel like he, you know, his training, he's, Kyle's a champion. No one has done what he's done in the sport. He's been on the podium in every division, master's team and individual. Mm. Um, probably like, you know, definitely like an unsung hero of the sport. And, um, you know, you just want to fight that person and give that person, you know, you, they, they earn and they're, they're owe and do more than, than I, I feel like I gave him. But I tried hard the last two days. Um, that final event, we did the thruster wall walk one. Um, I failed a thruster. And uh, cause I was trying so hard to, to, to beat him in that. And, uh, and he got me in that. It was just a blast. Um, it was so fun. I miss competing terribly. And it was definitely a part of my life that I was like, I look back and I was like, Hey, it was wrong for me to approach competing as like, you're either going to do it hundred percent or you're not going to do it at all. And that's what the masters taught me. You know, every guy out there it was funny listening to the, the masters in the stands, you know, they're talking about their kids and businesses they're selling and, car problems they're having. They're adults. I mean, they're just grown-ups. And that's not to say that the people who compete in, in the open, the Justin Medeiros of the world, he it's not that he's not an adult, but his sole focus is competing. You know, he's a student too, but um, you know, the masters, like they do balance this well with life. And they're still really fit. And they're people who love competing. So it's just super cool to now be a part of that community. It's it's definitely an outlet. I know it's a long answer. Um that's an outlet that I needed in my life. And uh it was really, really cool. It was really awesome, cool. man. That amps me up as we start to kind of get ready to compete on this side too. It just feels like that year off of COVID, you know, it's like that took away some of it. I'm excited to get back on the floor personally, yeah. just feel, feel those feels again and kind of just put you right at home. Um, and this next question, James, it might not be a fair shot because you're a master's athlete, but you're only 35, but I'm still going to ask you the longevity question. I want to know, looking back now that you are 35, you've been in the game while you've also coached master's athletes, been around a lot of masters. When you think longevity and being at the top of the game for long periods of time, what do you think? think are kind of the top two to three things that make those people successful that can stay, you know, like yourself. I know you're only 35, but yet you've been in the game for 10 plus years at a high level. Um, wow. What, what gives you longevity? Um, 
you know, I want to, I want to kind of give like this coaching answer and be like, well, you know, it's, it's the quality of your movement. And I think that matters, but I think there's like a, I don't know, a higher level thought process that kind of creates this gestalt, you know, this overriding vision of like how you approach everything. And, um, for me, honestly, longevity in terms of fitness, one, I think it really comes down to identifying what things in your life are most important to you. Um, last year and the year and a half beforehand, and I know everyone does this. I gave my business and my job extreme priority over every aspect of my life. In a lot of ways, that's what I needed to accomplish the goal I wanted to accomplish. But also in a lot of ways, like I took some, I took some lumps on the chin from that. You know, it's like I worked out the, the least amount I ever have. I think physically and, and mentally, I was definitely felt the most tested I ever have. Cause I was like, instead of going to the, going to work out, I'd be like, well, I'm going to work on X, Y, and Z. And coming out of that, you know, hey, I'm not going to compete because I'm going to focus on my business. Um, I think I took that to such an extreme example. I was kind of denying what other aspects of my life were very valuable, very important, very good to me. Um, and I needed to, to ultimately thrive. Like, so I think it's really good to be able to identify, you know, what are the things that you need in your life that allow you to be as happy, successful, fill in the blank as possible. And um, for me, I need to work out, you know, let's call it 45 minutes a day. You know, I need, you know, and it's seven days a week, I need movement, whatever that is. I just need 45 minutes of sweaty movement. Um, and honestly, I think even if I step away from my desk, the 45 minutes, uh, I was talking to a really good buddy about this who, who leads a very busy lifestyle. He travels on the road. He's a tour manager for a very successful um, country, country singer. And he always said, you know, he said, he said, you know, that 45 minutes away might seem like you're taking time out of your workday, but it probably allows you to come back and be more productive, you know, and we all know this kind of stuff, but I think that really keys into longevity because you start to allocate time resources, emotional resources toward those things that give you the most back. So I think that's a huge part of longevity. Um, the other thing I think is really more important in longevity is, um, I can't believe I'm saying this, right? Because I was always such a champion of like, yeah, you could probably out train a bad diet. You know, we never ate well with mayhem. Um, <laughs> I think you really got to start paying attention to just the things that occur outside of the gym. Um, nutrition is a big one. I do think I eat better than I ever have. And so I think that allowed me, if I wasn't training regularly, my body still ran pretty well, you know, because I wasn't feeling it with garbage. So I do think in terms of longevity, it's starting to pay attention to, what are the other things that affect your overall health, fitness, performance, aside from like doing the thrusters and the pull-ups um, that are going to keep you healthy and point in the right direction? I think that's, I think those are huge pieces. And, you know, over the last year, I've spent more or less, I would say now six months, um, I've spent more time paying attention to those. And I feel really good. Like I feel, and I mean like top to bottom, you know, corny, holistically, I feel really good. So I would say those are two really big things. Um, yeah, I mean, from there, we could definitely get into the nitty gritty of like training volume, staying away from specific movements, um, you know, doing specific movements that in the past you would have done for intensity, but now maybe you turn them into a lower intensity skill session so you can get exposure, but you're not wrecking yourself on them. You know, those kinds of things. But I, those would be my two big things, you know, identifying those areas of priority to that, that best nurture you and then um, paying attention to the things that aren't training, but that contribute to a healthful life. 
Holy man, that's a phenomenal answer. I love it. I want to I want to talk a little bit about CrossFit and CrossFit HQ, the future of CrossFit. It seems like from afar, you're very interconnected with hand plan, with uh, being on the seminar staff, um, you know, being in Colorado, possibly working side by side with Eric Rosa. I'm curious for the people that you know maybe aren't very familiar with it. How has your time with Eric been? What are some things that you're seeing that he's doing? What's kind of the impact been? What's your guys' relationship like? And how do you kind of see the future of CrossFit looking with him at the helm? That's a big question. Um, so I'll start in a couple places. Um, so my role specifically, I'm the senior manager of programming for CAP, the CrossFit affiliate programming. And mostly what I focus on is all of the content related to the programming, the class planning, and all of the other associated pieces that might connect those two. Um, now, also in my position the business term is I work cross-functionally um, with a lot of other departments like the product department who you know, looks at creating the specific class plan itself and how and where it's going to be presented. I work with them closely. I work with the gym team, which is the affiliate team, because um, ultimately this is, you know, and I call it a product and that's not to devalue what I think it really means and, and can be for affiliates. But um, I work with the gym team as far as like, how do we take feedback from all of our affiliates and implement that and use that to update the content? And um, I sit specifically under the EDU umbrella, so the con- you know uh, training department was the old old training department um, un- under Nicole Carroll, and so I try and work with the EDU department and the content writers on EDU to stay in line and integrate with the kernel message of the level one and the CrossFit level two. So that's kind of what I do and where I sit there. As far as um, my relationship with Eric, it is pretty cool. So I moved out to Colorado and oddly enough, the move out to Colorado wasn't solely based on CrossFit. (laughs) Um, It it was an upside. It's a bonus. But uh, my wife and I for a long time had looked at Colorado and just moving. We lived in Massachusetts our whole lives and we took a trip out there and she absolutely loved it, which I was surprised because Cassandra is very much what she would refer to as a beach person. Um, but Colorado, you know, the, the landscape is drastic and beautiful and, and we both wanted to live somewhere else and, and no kids, no pets right now. We just have a seven foot tall ficus that we bought. Um, <laughs> it was, that was on a whim. Cassandra's like, I want to go, I want to buy some house plants. And in my head, like my mom is a gardener. So it's like, we have a lot of plants in the house where I grew up. But when Cassandra said houseplant, I was expecting like a little snake plant, you know, like the trendy makes the oxygen better. And we're in the, we're in the greenhouse and she, she's like, I want this one. And she points at it and I look over and I'm like, you want what one? And I look at the thing and it's like six and a half feet tall. And she's like, how big do they get? And I'm like, well, ficus, it's a fig tree. Basically it could get 30 feet tall, but anyway, long story short. So we're out in Colorado now. Major upside is that, um, the CrossFit, um, home office the tech technically is in Boulder. We still have an office out in California. We both in Santa Cruz and, and uh, down in, in San Diego. And a lot of our, our staff, especially the dev team, a lot of the tech team are, you know, spurs throughout the Pacific Northwest and Canada. So we're still kind of all over the map, but what's really cool about Boulder is um, you have a fair amount of the executive team there. So um, you have Jeremy Landis, who's the uh, chief technical officer, chief product officer. Um, you have Eric out there. Um, you have our head of HR out there. You have our head of data and analytics out there. So what's really cool about that office um, is it's a small office. And while we're all doing different things all day, you do get to be around 
um, kind of that central hub, that nexus, which is really nice. And while we might not be getting like unlimited amounts of FaceTime, you know, we get enough to talk about specific topics. So um, my specific relationship with Eric through all this is, um, you know, we will chat about it and it's nice that he's really interested about it, which is cool. And he shows interest about it. Like it's definitely, you know, cap and other tools created to support of affiliates. He's really concerned about them and, and they're big priorities to him and CrossFit in general, you know, on top of a lot of other things they're pushing out right now. Um, it has been kind of this full court press over the last six months to try and do as much as we can to get back to supporting the community, whether that is everything that the sport team is doing, um, the, the CrossFit game side of things, um, or the affiliate, you know, side of things. If you've been following that, I mean, they've been releasing, I don't, oh yeah, they started doing their round tables. I just don't want to say anything that maybe isn't out yet, (laughs) but their round tables, they release Mm -hmm. the affiliate playbook cap, so on and so forth. Um, the training department is continuing to grow and release more courses. So it's just cool because you get to see and hear a little bit of that insight on, you know, where we're headed next. Yeah, that's so cool. What what's something that you know he Eric stepped in at a very delicate time. What's something over the last two years or a year, I guess that it's been. What's something that's impressed you from from him? Um, one of the things I've liked the most is just the, there has been an increase in transparency um, throughout the company, and that's been really nice because one of the things I think was. I think CrossFit has always done a lot of really beautiful things, you know, and that, and that's in, since its inception as it started as a business. But one of the hard parts about it for anyone who's worked in CrossFit a long time is that not every department or not every employee had visibility on all the cool stuff that was happening in the different corners of CrossFit. And I think that is something that both the employees of CrossFit now have, they have more visibility on the goings on. And I think the affiliate community and just the CrossFit community in general is getting more insight to that. And I think that's really important um, because I've always said, I said, there's so many bright lights inside of CrossFit. The problem is I just don't think they've always been, you know, given a stage and a platform. Um, And I see more of that happening, which I really, really like. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'm biased. I'm a fan. I've been working with the company in multiple capacities for the last decade. Um, so, you know, to take, take my, my view with a grain of salt, but, um, I do have a bias, but that's probably the transparency is probably the, the most important thing. And I think one of the best things right now, what would you say? I think you're the perfect person to ask. It's fun to talk about the future of CrossFit. It's fun to talk about it with other people in the gym, but because we all don't really know the exact idea or what the area that he's trying to push, but what would you say is something that is in the future or something that he's trying to push? Or if you just, if you just hear the future of CrossFit, where does kind of your mind go, James is what, what's, what's ahead. Uh, this is going to be a really broad answer. Someone said to me recently, they said, you're, you're getting very good at the political answers. Um, <laughs> you know, and part of that is, you know, you just see things, you see next steps, you see product plans, you see plans of, of where CrossFit's going that just aren't ready to be released yet. It's not my job. Um, you know, I'd be out throwing my coverage if I talked about them and released them. But from what I see, um, and this goes to all areas, you know, games team, EDU, affiliate. Um, one of the cool things that's happening is I think we're taking a much closer look at how we reach, speak to, provide tools, resources, um, interactions with CrossFitters of all levels. Mm. Um, you know, I, I did... I do think while the main site is a really nice example, right? The main site has always been this really cool bastion of 
Um, it's a resource where no matter what level of CrossFitter you were, you could go and get something valuable in terms of GPP fitness and maybe some education every day for a very long time. You know, I don't know any other open source fitness resource that is as comprehensive as that. Um, but that being said, it wasn't the main site wasn't always guide, you know, as guided as it could have been. And I, I think if you've been involved in CrossFit for a while, you might start to feel like, hey, CrossFit speaks to the games athlete or it speaks to the to the to the novice. What about every, you know, what about the seven year, the six year? And we talk about this from a affiliate programming standpoint, and you've probably dealt with this. It's those intermediate athletes who are self-sufficient enough not to kill themselves that are honestly the hardest to reach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we're taking a much closer look at how we can provide more for everybody top to bottom and make sure that when they interact with CrossFit, they also feel guided, you know, not just us saying, hey, the information's out there, go find it. But hey, if you're X, Y, and Z CrossFitter, here's a place to take a look. So that's definitely something I see starting to happen more and more. And I'm really excited about just because, you know, there are, there are a lot of us now. And there are so many CrossFitters out there who have such a diverse background of experience and skill level. And um, they probably just want a little bit more resources, which is, which is very cool. I think it's exciting. Is that, is that an okay answer? I, it's I just, a great, no, it's a great answer, man. I think it's, I think it's exciting. I think the future is exciting. I think it's moving in the right direction too. And just from like uh, working in the gym, being a head coach in my gym, I can see some of the things like the education parts or the emails are getting a lot better. And some of the content, like we're using a lot of the content now in our staff meetings. So, you know, that article that Jason Lydon put out, we talked about, it, and then it creates a little bit more conversation. I just don't think we had that. Maybe, maybe we did, maybe we didn't have that before, but it just seems to be a little bit more available now. So I like it. I think it, everything's heading in the right direction. I was just curious from somebody that's in a little bit deeper, kind of where you see things as well, but no, I think it's great. Yeah. I think the TPC, the professional coach um, period, I guess it's a monthly now um, monthly articles, articles that are coming out. That publication is amazing. Like that's a really good example of what I'm talking about. And Cause if you read the professional coach and there's resources in there for all levels of coaches, which I think is really cool. And, mm-hmm. and um in the past, I think it was easy to get caught up in the notion that CrossFit only cared about games athletes, which I don't think was ever the case. Um, but it's just the games was so big and so flashy and so front-facing and so exciting and compelling. It was just easy to get sucked into that notion. Um, all the good information is there, but something like the TPC, like the Professional Coach um, article or publication, is a nice example of like, hey, here is the information that's, that's always been here, but we're going to package it up and we're going to now make sure it's accessible and it shows up on your doorstep. And you can use it or not. Um, yeah, that's an amazing resource. Like you said, very cool to hear that you're digging into that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into coaching stuff, I have to ask, because I'm just curious to hear more about this. Talk to me about these workouts that you do with Tosh. First of all, who is this guy? Who the hell is Tosh for the people that don't know? Talk to me about some of these crazy workouts you do, why you do them. Uh, talk about talk to the listeners a little bit about this, because they probably haven't heard it yet. Um. Great. Um, so Brian Sean Tosh, uh, he's a very decorated, uh, retired Marine. Um, but on top of that, just a wonderful person. He's, he's Tosh is certainly one of those people I've met. One of the few people I've met in my life. And Tosh is always Tosh, if that makes sense. Like he's very much who he is. And it's hard to find people like that in the world. Um, and when you do, you typically recognize something special. And then from there, um, you know, from my perspective, looking at him, he's certainly accomplished a lot in his military career. Um, he has a Wikipedia page if you want to go look it up. Um, he spent a lot of time developing his skills and his mindset and his world perspective through ultra endurance events, 
He spent a lot of time in that world. Uh, he's been involved with the CrossFit world for a long time. You know, he's worked on CrossFit seminar staff. Um, if you go back, there's some, there's some old videos of him, but, um, and I, I can't quite remember how he and I linked up, but we, we started a friendship and he invited me out to support him on one of his, you know, leadership events. And he has a company, his for-profit is called Crooked Butterfly. And really, um, they're, they're events that use, I'll say, physical duress as a vehicle to help people develop strategies and mindsets and skills um, to, for self-betterment, for self-improvement, you know, to build a better mindset, to improve their physical performance. So he invited me out to support him at an event he was running and they're typically long duration. You know, it's, it's, they're really cool because, you know, there, there's varying lengths. There's a 24 hour one. There's a 32 hour one. Um, they're very cool because the whole goal of them. And I had a friend who reached out and he said, Hey, I really want to do this. I'm not sure if I can. Now this friend of mine, Max, um, successful affiliate owner, been doing cross a long time fit guy, you know, he's competed at regionals on a team, but he's consistent. And I said, Max, I said, what's cool about this is there's nothing there that you won't be able to do. What it really comes down to is what's the goal you set for yourself and how hard do you want to push it? So throughout this 24 hour period, there's various tasks that you're given um, and have to accomplish. And they're basic things. Like there's no like max squat snatches at 75 pounds. You know, like I don't want to, it's not a, it's not a CrossFit event, but it is physical effort with, with basic body weight movements or, you know, being encumbered and, and carrying that load over a certain distance. So there are these very simplistic tasks that stretch you out far enough and keep you awake long enough and tire you out just enough. So it kind of brings you to that, that place where you're uncomfortable. Um, you're, you're making those bargains with yourself of how to handle the discomfort. And that gives Tosh an opportunity to step in and, and overlay how he has confronted these things in his experience. You know, what has he learned about leadership? What has he learned about dealing with um, this, these points of mental and physical friction and how to overcome them? And then he says, I like to try and take these things and apply them to, um, you know, the boardroom, you know, the, you know, the whatever, the rest of life, every other part of life. So yeah. from the gym, I, and to I, don't home, look, I don't want to look past this too as something that's, that's easy. Tell us a little bit of what, what are some of these workouts? I think people need to visualize, like, I know you make them sound yeah. pretty easy. Walk us through some of them. No. Yeah. So we don't really, we don't really share the specific events. Okay. Um, and I don't want you to think about it as a, as a workout, but you know, imagine if across 24 hours, I gave you a very simplest, you know, two very simplistic tasks you know, and for maybe a period of a couple hours, you would do one task. Maybe it would be, I don't know, hike as far as you can or on a trail. And then on another period of time, I would say, Hey, accumulate as many, you know, calories on this device as you could, or something like that, just simplistic, basic tasks. And it puts you in a position for you to be like, well, great. In this time domain, I could hike five miles, but I'm tired. My feet hurt. So maybe I'll only hike three miles. And when you start to have that conversation of yourself and start making those deals of like, well, you know, I'm tired. My feet hurt. I, I want to get a snack. You know, I think I have a blister. I'm going to sit down and take care of my blister. That's when we can step in and Tosh can step in and start talking to you about tool sets, 
that help you. And I think I, there's somebody on your podcast who's talked about this before. Um, Justin, um, mental flexibility. That's yeah, kind of how I like, yeah, Justin Sua. That's kind of how I like to think about this skill. But Tosh can step in and start helping people develop that skill set of like, well, yeah, you could only do three miles, but you know, what could you do right now to go one step further? What could you do right now? You know, could you go one more mile and then take care of the things you have to take care of? Mm-hmm. So how has that James made an impact on you as a better person, athlete, um, et cetera. And how would that also impact somebody who is maybe not at your fitness capability? So think of somebody that's maybe a little bit more on the beginner side of just say yeah. CrossFit for an easy example, but why, why would somebody want to do something like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the coolest parts of these events is that most of the people, you know, cause you do know that it's going to be a 24 hour event, right? So mm-hmm. that in, to some extent, that's a, that's a, that's a calling tool. You know, it sort of weeds out people who really want to be there. Now, that being said, I've seen people of every single fitness level show up, wow. whether it be somebody beginner and whether it be somebody who has competed at regionals multiple times, whether we've had, a, you know, whether it's been someone who's been a games athlete, um, I've seen people and people who have never done CrossFit. And that's a really important thing. You know, like I said, it's the physical effort. The tasks are simple and straightforward enough. Push yourself off the ground. Stick your butt below parallel stand up. You know, the tasks are simple enough. Carry this thing over there. The tasks are simple enough where what it really comes down to is, hey, given the task, what's the goal you set that's appropriate for you? Now, can we push you 1% further than what you think you can do? And then we're going to continue to do that for as long as possible and get you into a position where you can start to understand, hey, when I get to that point of self-doubt, when I get to that point where the external factors I feel like are weighing in and are more powerful and their voices are louder than the internal factors, you know, what, are the, what is the tool set I need to handle that kind of stuff? Very cool. Um, so like I said, it really like anyone of any fitness level could do it, anybody. And I've seen it. Um, and it, like I said, if you want to kind of check out some of the, some of the people I've gone through, you can go check out his Instagram. Now to the question of why someone would want to do it. Yep. That's a really good question. I mean, for me, the reason I've gotten more involved with this is because I felt like it challenged me in a way that I had not been challenged. And I like to be someone who can kind of, you know, I'd put up a story post the other day. I said, you know, who is the person that shows up? When, when shit hits the fan. And it's that person that I want to go find that person in me who shows up when things get hard. And what does that person look like? And how do I make that person better? Right. Um, most of my life is, I would say, pretty easy. You know, it's like, but I know that if I'm living easy all the time, there's probably not as much growth happening as I want to occur. And, and this was some, this was an event, you know, this has been a, an experience where I've really appreciated what I've learned from it and how it's challenged me in ways. Um, you know, if we have time, the first time I went out, so that's Tosh, Crooked Butterfly is Tosh's for-profit, um, you know, customized leadership experience. He has a nonprofit um, called the Big Fish Foundation to support veterans and provide more tools um, for veterans to help prevent veteran suicide and, you know, rehabilitate them and empower them to just live fuller, um, potentialized lives after they get out of the military. And I had really first experienced Tosh in one of these events through his nonprofit, the Big Fish Foundation. And the first event that we did, and it was funny because I remember when he sent this text out, he said, we're going to do a grit test. And there was a group of us on this text thread. He said, are you in or are you out? Here's the date. 
And I've known Tosh for a while at this point. So I know if he says, are you in or out, it's not going to be like, Hey, we're going to go walk for five miles. Like yeah. whatever this is going to be, is going to be something that when you look at it on paper, you're going to say, well, what the hell did I sign up for? <laughs> and it was an event where as long as possible, you would alternate between two things. So you would have one hour to complete two and a half miles on a trail loop. And then the next hour, you would have to complete two and a half miles on a true form. And so you would just alternate between those two things Ugh. for as long as you could. Oh, and that's a, that, right. That, oh, is right. And so at first you kind of look at it and you're like, well, two and a half miles. Um, you know, I can run that pretty quick. That's not going to be that bad. But then you realize that, well, one, you can finish two and a half miles in an hour easily walking, which two means you could do this for a very long period of time, much so longer it com- than it comes down to you. Being yeah. able to, you know, fight past yourself, right? There's no yeah. external factors. Because it's simple. I mean, it's as simple as take simple, one yeah. step ahead, take the take the next step. It's that it's you know, the task is simple but not easy. And the first time I did it, I got to I think 27 or 29 hours. I don't quite remember. Um, and I remember it was one of those moments. And the guy who who did the most that week and I think finished 60 something. And so I was when 50 I finished, hours? Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. I'm gonna that's not the end of the story. And I think he he could have gone further. Um, you know, and I remember when I quit and I quit, I truly quit. I quit at 29 hours. And, um, it was funny because Bridges, Josh Bridges was there and I was talking to him about this and he had some really cool advice. And I, cause I was, I was really, I remember at the moment I quit, I was so mad. I texted my wife. I was having a fit. I was fr- kind of having like a, a I was at, not kind of, I was having a temper tantrum. I was so disappointed in myself. And it happened as soon as I tapped out. Cause I thought to myself, I was like, I physically could do another hour. Like there was nothing that was stopping. It was uncomfortable. It was hot. I was tired. My feet hurt. I was hungry, but I physically could have done another hour. Um, and I quit. And it was funny. I was talking to Josh Bridges and he said, he said, Hey, with an event like this, everyone's going to quit. Just, it just matters when it's going to happen. And that was really good advice. Cause it kind of made me realize like, okay, well, you know, the 27 hours of when I quit, isn't necessarily reflective on who I am as a person. It doesn't encapsulate me completely, but it gave me some good perspective to, Hey, this is where I can get better from. And so later on, Tosh had reached out and he said, Hey, I think he's like, I come, I, I want to redo this event. And he's like, I think I can get a hundred hours. And I was like, well, I won't let you do it alone. I'll come do it again. Cause I kind of had an ax to grind. And so later on that year, we went back out and uh, it was just us and a couple other people. It was not nearly as supported as the first fundraiser. And Tosh ended up getting 100 hours, which was amazing oh to watch. Gosh. Yeah, it was very cool. 250 total miles. Um, and then uh, I think I finished um, 40. I got, wow. I got just over 100 miles. I finished 40-something hours, which I, was, which I felt much more satisfied with. Um, still had some lessons learned, but I don't feel like I quit like I did in the first one. You know, I, I physically pushed myself much further you know, than I could have. And Tosh always says, um, the mind is the body with 10 is to one, right? So I I feel like I pushed my body much closer to where the capacity uh, of my brain was, which I was really, really happy with. But that being said, I just, I learned a lot from it. Um, And the task was so simple. And there are people who do this kinds of stuff all the time. I think the unique thing about these events is is who's involved, um, Tosh's leadership, the people he attracts and, and brings into it. But that was my first real taste of it. I do remember when I agreed to do that, do it the second time. I remember I started my first hour and I thought to myself, 
God damn, I have another 29 hours of this until I beat my old score. Um, but you, you get into a groove. And, and like I said, it's, it's a good time to do some, do some deep self-reflection. Um, yeah. And so we did another fundraiser this year for Big Fish. And the event changed a little bit. It was, it was partners. And you know, it, was, it was really fun. But long story short is, for some people, I think there are, there are other events that allow them to sort of stretch themselves and have these moments of introspection. Um, but for a lot of people who participate in these, it's a really wonderful place to do so. And the, the first, you know, diesel day, you know, diesel day one, which is sort of the entry, not, I shouldn't say entry level, but that's the first, um, event you could do with Tosh and the crooked butterfly. If you want to sign up, um, it's fully supported. Like our goal, you know, we're there making you snacks when you're tired and I'm making you suck down pickles so you can stay hydrated and you don't get cramped up. And I'm telling you, Hey, I think you need to have some water. You should tape your foot. Um, it's fully supported for the whole purpose of just you getting to that point of conversation where you're like, Hey, I don't think I can do it anymore. And then being like, well, you know what? My feet don't hurt that bad. I can still walk another lap. Um, I could, I could wait till I could eat while I'm on the lap. So I don't have to eat right now. Um, it's fully supported to put you in that position. So you realize you can do just a little bit more than you thought you could. So you have better tools to combat your mind when your mind starts pushing you back to comfort. And I think, um, you know, I think that's the kind of person who might want to do it is somebody who wants to learn those things better. Yeah. Cause there are areas in our lives. Like I always talk about this with, with my wife, my wife did one and honestly it was so freaking hard for me to watch her do it. Cause in a lot of areas of my life, I feel like I have great tool sets to manage stress and duress and chaos and I can stay removed, um, but still involved enough, you know, and mm-hmm. I can separate care from concern, but with my, you know, with my wife, my relationship, it's a hard thing for me to do. And I think a lot of people probably identify with this when she did this diesel day, the hardest thing for me to do was to not help her when I saw her under stress. Yep. You know, it was like, and you know, the thing is, it's like, hell, she's been married to me for two years. She's been dating me for seven years. So she survived that shit. She's tough. <laughs> um, she's lived her own damn life. She's a sex- successful career woman. She's a right. successful CrossFit athlete. She's going to be 30 this year. Like there's a, you know, there's 24 years of her life that she lived without me. She's okay if I don't help her right now. But man, is it so hard to learn that lesson. Um, and now that I can, you know, practice, you know, I had that chance to practice that lesson. I can apply those skills that I use in that thing that I feel very eager to control and feel very concerned with. And I can apply that in other areas of my life, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's the kind of person who might appreciate um, or really take a lot out of this event. It's not just for the, like, those like hardos, you know, um, it's really for anyone who just wants to build a better tool set for dealing with all of the things that come along with physical, emotional distress and duress and, stuff like that very cool you gotta be interested that's for sure i think too it comes back to like what you talked about or you posted about before it's getting uh comfortable when you're uncomfortable and and also i think a lot of it transfers over more into your personal life than anything else it 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 makes you a better person doing hard things makes you a better person we've talked about this on the show a lot and i think it just carries over into your discipline and how you just go out about your daily life so it's not just the physical part. It doesn't make you, it just doesn't make you more fit. Of course, that weekend or that, you know, day and a half will, but I think more, it just kind of improves your character along, along the way. I think that's awesome stuff, man. Very cool. I look forward to looking more into that. Um, I want to transition and talk about coaching, coaching yeah. questions. Yeah. Let's get it. This is your, this is your bread and butter here. So 
Uh, we did this last time too. We took the second half of the show ish to talk about coaching. And I wanted to, I, uh, something I really strive for in the show is to give very applicable advice for people. And I want people to get real and I want to talk about things that actually happen, not just things that are really surfacey. And so I put out a post uh, and I got some awesome feedback on people, coaches out there that have some uh, struggles and difficult scenarios in classes, and they don't really know who to go to. And I think James Hobart's the perfect person to talk to about some of these things, just because you've been in the game so long and you've been coaching the L1, the L2 and things like that. And uh, it was funny. We were talking about this off air about, we have these 10 things and a lot of the items have nothing to do with queuing a deadlift. They don't have anything to do um, with programming 21, 15, nine thrusters and pull-ups. There's a lot of social interaction stuff. And I'm really curious to hear kind of your thoughts about it, because I don't think it always Always gets talked about in a lecture format. So we're just going to go through them here. Maybe we'll spend two, three, four, five minutes on each one and hopefully give some applicable takeaways for people that are struggling with some difficult scenarios. Ready to go? I, I feel like this is going to be rapid fire, but yeah, I feel like all good. All good. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it for a minute or two and then we'll move on. So the first one that somebody said was coaching new members when they're thrown into class right away. And another one that was the same was coaching a new member who is well behind the capabilities of the current class members. What are some of your pieces of advice for coaches that have to deal with this? Yeah, I think this is going to be, this is going to be a softball. Not a, this is not a softball question, but this might be kind of like a softball answer. Maybe just kind of being generic. But I do think one of the most important things is to have a plan, you know. And whenever I teach a class, and for most of us who teach classes regularly, you know the same 15, 20, 12 people who are going to come into your gym. So that stuff's easy, right? Like, you know that Sally always shows up the noon class and she has trouble, you know, getting her knees out or whatever the specific example is. But for brand new athletes, I think it's, I've always tried to keep in mind, like, all right, if someone brand new shows up, what is a workout or what are the scaling options that they are going to do that allows them to still participate with the group, do something that looks like what the group is doing, um, but it's as low barrier, it's as easy for me as a coach to apply as absolutely possible. And this could mean hey, anytime there's a barbell in a workout, if someone brand new comes in, especially if I have a big class, like the new person's probably doing an empty barbell, training bar, or dumbbells, like that plan is set in my head. I think that's really crucial. The other thing I think is really important to do with that person is modulate their intensity so they're safe, loading, speed, what reps, whatever that means, and have a plan of how you're going to do that. So it's like that sort of, you know, it's like you have a... um you have like a stock script of like, hey, if a brand new person shows up today, here's exactly what they're going to do. Now, on top of that, I think what's really important in this scenario is just to ask that person, you know, what's one thing you want to get better at today? And even if they say something that's like, I don't know, so far left field, great. That's your job is to get them better at that one thing. Unless they step out of the line of safety, Try not to get wrapped around the axle about making them move perfectly or teaching them everything they need to know about the power clean. Like with that new person, who gives a shit if they land with their feet super wide and they're safe, but they opened their hip? Great. You know, if, they, if that's what they wanted to work on, hip extension, that's what we're focused on. I think one of the biggest pitfalls in this scenario is just trying to do too much with that new person. And it's overwhelming for you as a coach, especially if you have a big class. It's overwhelming for them as an athlete because you know, they have so many concerns that they're already, that they're already thinking about. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's yeah. where I would start with, um, new members who are well behind the capabilities of the current class. Again, I think the approach is, is still kind of the same. Um, and I would even 
pour more energy into this notion of identify one thing that you can get them better at and, and dive into that. Another nice tool, especially if you're doing group classes where you're having someone, you know, once the workout starts, it's easy because yeah. everybody is so tunnel visioned and worrying about the fact that their heart rate's, you know, 180 and they want to beat their buddy to the left. They don't care what's going on with everybody else in class. Um, but it's the, it's the group warmups, the technique warmups, the, you know, skill warmups where you get, lose people. Um, so I think one of the important, just practical tools you can use is, you know, I was talking to somebody about this recently is you not every single rep needs to be coach led, <laughs> you know, like, cause if I'm coach leading every rep, there's an advanced athlete who might want to move a little faster. There's a brand new athlete who might not be able to keep up with my pace. Um, so not every rep needs to be coach led. I try really hard to balance a couple reps where I'm going to lead the group because I need to be able to see you at my pace. That's just the name of the game in a group class. And then I try and balance that with, hey, guys, in the next 20 seconds, take five to 10 reps on your own and then rest. And that allows me to then go pay attention to whoever might need it. If you're in my class, DJ, you might get like a nice job. Good to see you. Keep killing it. And then I'm going to go over there to, you know, you know, Johnny Greenhorn, who's in the corner, who it's his first class and we're doing power cleans, but he's slinging the bar overhead and I can chat with him real quick. So it gives you some cushion time to spread out your coaching resources. I think that's a really important practical tool. And then on top of that, you're just going to try and teach that new person one thing. And for some new people, maybe it is a safety thing. Maybe it's like, hey, stop doing this so you can be safe. Or maybe it's like, hey, you know, you look safe, but we're going to focus on this. So I think those are two practical tools I I hope can help coaches. Love it. Cool. Number two, uh, this is uh, a question that came in this morning. It said being being direct with distractions from members without becoming polarizing. So in other words, what are some of the best ways, James, that you've learned to like bring everybody in without correcting adults and making them feel embarrassed? I think sometimes those talking pieces are something that coaches struggle with and it can lead to it can lead to resentment. Like that person's always talking and then you, then you not, then you don't like them and resent them. And it can, it can blow up into a bigger thing than it has to be. So it, it, to put, to button it all together, how do we be direct with the distractions from members without becoming polarizing? Yeah, I think this is a really good one. Um, I, I do think part, part of this is like, you should embarrass somebody once. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I think there is an art to it. Like, there are some athletes in my gym who I know well enough when they're being a little bit too chatty, I can kind of call them out, make a polite joke but that also kind of checks them. And it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't come across as a total dick. And I think that that is a skill that you kind of have to test out and see if you have, you know, um, if you don't have the tone for it, if you don't have the, the mannerism, if you don't have the eye contact with a nice smile, you don't have the relationship with that person, it might not work. I do think it's something people should test out and play around with. And then if you've done it three times and you get back the feedback that like, wow, James is a real dick when he looks at people and he's like, Hey, can you be quiet now? Right. You know, there's a way to deliver that information. That's kind and funny and charming. And I think it's something you need to practice. So you got to get out there and do it. The other thing is um, don't over abuse the, Hey guys, bring it in power. You know, like I, I see coaches do this. They're like, all right, next progression. Hey guys, bring it in. Oh, I got to walk back in, right? Like when you abuse that and it becomes something that's now just normal all of the time, athletes will get distracted because I'm not just here to always bring it in in class. You have to respect that. CrossFit group classes are this very beautiful balance of, I, I think of it a lot like um, most martial arts classes, but it's this really nice balance of like coach directed, coach led. 
but also a little bit of free play time where athletes get to move on their own and explore the gym on their own. So as a coach, you need to remember that and you need to understand which side of the fence do you fall on more. Um, then that being said is give really simple direction and give your group time to react. And it should be used at certain key points throughout the class. So athletes don't feel like it's overused, but they know like, oh, it's whiteboard time. Whiteboard time is we go and we be quiet. Hey guys, I need to talk to you about this workout. I need everybody to come in real quick. Give them a second to react. Let them come in. You stay silent for two seconds. Mm -hmm. Give them some eye contact. When you feel like everybody's kind of quieted down, great. Carry on. Um, another nice way to handle this is if someone continually talking while you're giving some information is you can ask, Hey guys, do you have any questions? You know, cause, and that, and that sometimes, you know, people aren't stupid. They might get the hint of what you're really getting at there, but that's a nice way to handle it. If you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel like being direct is the right way to do it. And the last thing I would say with this, check yourself. Are you talking too much? Look, I'm, I'm a, I personally am a terrible class member. I am in class and I love CrossFit because I get to hang out with my friends. So when I'm in class, it is social time. And I was like this in grade school and high school. I'm like this now as an adult. It has been something that's been very hard for me to get rid of. If there's a buddy there I want to chat to, I'm going to talk to you. Um, so that being said, especially if the coach starts, you know, gobbing off five minutes later, like, okay, is this really what we're here to do is to listen to you talk for six minutes about the power clean? No, man. Like, so, and check yourself too. I, I love the, the advice. And I've said this a million times came out of the CrossFit kids course. I actually heard it originally from coach Jen, Mar Jen, uh, Jen Hunter Marshall. She said, if it takes longer than three minutes to explain, it's too complicated. Mm. And I was like, I like that. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, you know, like, cause that's not what we're, we're there to do in class. So those are some things to think about. I don't know if those help anybody. Dude, those are those really are good. Some things that, that go through, that go through my head. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I honestly, I like the part about being a little bit more quiet and having, a, having direct pauses rather than if you're talking too much, then it, there's not a chance for them to slow down because they're just hearing background noise. I like that. Um, so the next one here, number three out of 10 here, when someone continuously brings up highly debated topics like politics, religion, the vaccine, et cetera, I think this is unfortunately more common now than it's ever been. So it probably needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, I'm always a big fan of having these, these, if you do have a, someone, you know, I call this as this person infecting the environment of the gym and, and affecting, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, like, is what they're doing starting to spread to other people, right? Um, for lack of a better analogy right now, um, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I think is ultimately the best place to start. And, you know, everybody wants to go out there and they want to read the book, how to have hard, hard conversations and verbal judo. You just have to go have this conversation because even if you read all of the best self-help books about how to structure this and not talk in the, you know, you know, talk in the I and not talk in the you and all that kind of stuff. You just have to have this conversation and you're only going to get better at it when you have it. And the easiest way to do it for both of you is to pull them aside and ask them, Hey, why are we talking about this so much? Is this the best environment to be talking about it? And just kind of try and hear from them why they're bringing it up so much. And I think that's a great place to start with people. Again, I think you have to be uh, very adept socially um, to address this stuff in a large group setting. If you're going to confront somebody one-on-one -on -one in a large group setting, it's a very hard skill to do and do successfully. Um, and that's what I should say. It's easy to do. It's hard to do successfully. So right. pull them aside, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, ask them where they're coming from. Um, understand that you're not going to handle this perfectly. 
try and relate to them why it's important to you know reduce this kind of talk in class and put yourself out there as the resource for hey if there's something you want to chat about bring it to me like i'm happy to hear about it if you want to be that person if you don't want to be that person, be like, oh, bring it to coach, bring it to DJ. Thank you to him. But I, you know, I, I think that's you know, the simplest advice. You got to go out and have, there's another question on here. I saw you got to go out there and have hard conversations. Um, and you just, cause you're going to screw it up. Yep. I think it's, it's super fitting right now. I think, you know, not, not at my gym, but it's just in general, I think people want, they don't have much to talk about. And so they want to keep bringing up some of those items. And really, because there's so many different sides of the coin in this, in these types of topics, uh, you just don't know who you're going to upset or offend or anything like that. So you don't want to start to create that vibe where, you know, I don't know what that person's thinking and it starts to create a conversation that really isn't conducive to what we're trying to do here. I think it's really good stuff. Number four out of 10 here, James, somebody said elite, you probably get this a lot, elite athletes who are resistant to input. What are the, that coaching scenario is a difficult one. How do you tackle that one? Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're not at the point yet where it is an issue, it's a start early and, and continue to do often approach. I think the earlier that you can have an environment at the gym where everyone receives some sort of feedback and that's open and comfortable and appreciate and acknowledge and celebrated that this problem almost never exists unless you get some interloper who stops into the gym. Um, if you're at the point where this is already occurring again, I think this is a tough thing to handle, but that being said, it's a it's done really well in a in a one on one conversation. You know why are most elite athletes and it's it's not good to assume that you know the answer to this, but why are most elite athletes resistant to input? It's because likely, in my opinion, and it's probably worthwhile asking them. Hey, when I'm giving you a cue, how come you don't listen? Or when I say reduce weight on the bar, how come you don't listen to me? It's worth asking them the answer to that question. Because um, most people don't like conversation a lot of confrontation. A lot of times they'll be like, I don't know why I'm doing that. And it's like, hey, can you just help me out here a little bit? People look up to you in the gym. Um, if you, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to keep you safe. I'm trying to make sure regardless of your fitness, you're still going to win the workout that you get the most out of the workout. You know, having that one-on-one conversation is good. I think most at elite athletes are resistant to input because one, um, they think that they, can, they conflate elite athleticism with um, excellent coaching skills, which are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known world-class coaches who are not the most elite athletes. And I've known elite athletes who are horrible coaches. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons. I think one of the other reasons this occurs is that those athletes believe that the best way for them to continually get fitter is to continue doing exactly what they've been doing. Right. And this is, this is, and when you see people who are excellent at something like truly great, you don't see this quality. You, those people are so receptive to feedback. They're so anal- they're they're almost analytical to a point, you know, self self referential to a point where it's cringy. Um, so it's they're just very convinced that what they've been doing helps them continue to do it well. But I think if you can have that conversation and come to them from a place of, hey, look, I just see a couple things you could do better. Just test them out, you know, and just start talking to them in those conversations and really understanding why is the elite athlete acting that way. You could simply ask them. Hey, why are you resistant to my input? Here's why I need you to be on board with me. And the earlier and more often you can start doing that, like I said, most people want to participate in what the rest of the group is doing. Um, they don't want to be labeled as the outcast, the different person. So um, they'll typically be honest with you and you can have that one-on-one and, and, and try to relate to you a little bit better, I think. Yep. Ask more questions. I love it. 
Um, let's see here. Number five, we kind of already talked about this. Maybe you have another specific example. Otherwise we'll go to six, but five was class won't stop talking when coach is trying to brief the workout. Yeah. And I, again, I think this is sometimes you might have to test putting your foot down. Um, I was never afraid. And then granted, I've been at this for 15 years, right? So there's some, I have some level of tried and true confidence where I'm willing to kind of get into a tug of war with a large group. Um, but I wasn't always this way. It took me a while to feel comfortable doing this, but it's every once in a while, it's like, Hey guys, come into the board, pause for a second. See if people quiet down. I'm briefing the workout. Lots of chatter going on. I might pause and say, Hey, I need everyone to listen to this just for three minutes. It's really important. And you can always conflate it. We have a lot going on today. It's really important that everybody knows what they're doing just to keep you guys safe. You can come from a place of care. So just give me two more seconds of your time. And then we're going to move on. You know, so I think it's, it's okay to, again, you need to practice putting your foot down with a group and then again, evaluating, you know, like, Hey, when I put my foot down, was I being too authoritarian? Was I being firm, but also compassionate to the needs of the group? So you do need to practice every once in a while. Like, don't say it like this, but like, Hey guys, sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really, you know, it's okay to say, Hey, I need everyone to listen just for 60 seconds and then we'll get back to it. This is really important. You know, be a champion of, of what you're doing, you know, letting the group know that what you're doing is important and they need to listen is a good place to start. Totally. Number six, uh, a lot of images in my head on this one. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's a, it, this one probably goes more to the gym owner, I think, in most cases, depending on uh, what the type of scenario is. And, and I think you're still a perfect person to ask on this because it is a common question. I got it twice. Children going rampage during workouts. How do you address children going rampage during workouts, James? Um, you know, it's so funny you asked me this question. I have no clue. And I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to say I know what I don't know. Sure. My answer would be give them candy. I feel like kids always get more focused when they get candy, but no, that is not, that is not my true answer. I mean, honestly, um, we don't, we have never really had this problem at our gym, uh, especially in my affiliate experience in Boston, cause we're a much younger crowd mm-hmm. and, uh, the couple parents that do bring their kids in, they were so well behaved and awesome. So I wish I could give the world better advice here. I don't know. Put baby shark on an iPad. Is that what they're still doing nowadays for kids? Totally, man. And I'm in the same boat. We're in the same area where we don't have a lot of kids that come into the gym. I think some things that I have noticed on other gyms that is helpful is dedicating a room for the kids to be in it with some glass doors and glass windows that you can see inside, but just having you know, you know, prioritizing being able to set up your gym that way can uh, really help because I think at the end of the day, it's a safety thing, right? And you're thinking about if they're running on the floor, barbells are dropping, and then also just the member experience. Like some people don't like kids. That's just how it is. And they don't want to have to deal with that at their gym. And especially if they're paying a, a premium dollar per month to be at their gym. So maybe just First of all, being aware of it. Second of all, can you kind of create a room or a, or an area of the gym where the kids can kind of be a part of? Yeah. You know, um, we saw this with dogs and I always think it's easier to add stuff on later than take away once you've given it. And it's like, I think it's okay to start a gym and man, I'm going to piss some parents off and dog owners off right now. And, and I'm someone who's owned dogs his whole life. And I love them with all my heart. Like, I can't, but you know, it's a gym. Like you said, people are paying a premium to be there. I'm not babysitting. It could be an unsafe environment for a child. And I don't want the parents to leave that up to me to, to have to be responsible for their kid in their gym. So just starting off with a policy that says, Hey, no dogs, no kids. And then if over time you realize 90% of your membership has kids that need to bring in, then you can start constructing a plan. But you know, for the one parent or the one dog owner, I know it kind of seems like a bummer, but maybe the answer is, Hey, sorry, we just can't accommodate that right now. I think that's okay. I think it is too. 
Cool. Number seven here, uh, we're talking about the most uh, difficult coaching scenarios here. The seventh one here is excessive body odor and how to have the conversation. I think some people might laugh or scock at this, but it, 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 uh, it has happened. It, it, it can happen. Yeah. Um, I still love that you put kids going on a rampage, not just like kids <laughs> acting was, out. That was the exact, <laughs> on that was the exact submission. <laughs> yeah. Um, excessive body odor, the stinky athletes. Um, first is I, is it bothering? I'm, and I'm way less crazy about this stuff than I used to be. Is it bothering anybody else in the gym? Um, if it is bothering somebody else in the gym, and this is a really hard conversation to have with people. Um, but again, you're going to pull them aside. And I would probably wait until the point that I notice other members, and not just one other member, but if multiple members are like, Hey, James comes to my class and he really stinks and he's dirty. Um, then I might go evaluate that situation myself. And then I'm going to go have a chat with that person. And I'm going to say like, Hey, you know, we've had a couple of people worry about body odor or talk to me about body odor. Um, you know, is, is this something what's going on here? You know, just ask them that question. This is a really hard conversation to have, but again, I wouldn't hop to it. If it's just you walking by and being like, Oh, I don't like how so-and-so smells. You know, sure. do you see that it's something that's now kind of infected, not infecting, but influencing or affecting the, the larger, larger part of your business? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause to some extent, some people just get stinky when they work out, regardless of what they do. And, um, not everyone notices it. So Cool. Uh, number eight, this is a new one here uh, with the AirPods coming out here, but athletes who insist on wearing AirPods during the wad, what, how do you handle that as a coach? Honestly, this is one of those things, again, like uh, the analogy, I always draw a restaurant analogy. Like if I went into a restaurant and people told me, you know, I get to order the steak I want, I get to order the apps I want, but if the waiter came out and told me how to eat those things, I'd be pretty pissed. Um, this is one of those, as long as the athlete's safe, I'm okay with it, you know? And if they're still, as long as they're safe and still receptive to coaching, you know, if they're on receptive or on incapable of receiving coaching, cause they're blasting, you know, Metallica in their AirPods, or they're just checked out and not situationally aware. Cause they got their AirPods, you know, plugged in and they're listening to your podcaster in class and they're really thinking about it. Well, then I'm going to ask them to like, Hey, you got to turn the volume down. Or if I'm coaching you, need you to pull them out so we can we can chat. Like that stuff is essential because I do think that safety piece is going to be overriding of their their personal you know preference to have AirPods in. But honestly, um, we had this we had one coach at our gym, and uh, he would always jack the music up super loud. And I started noticing like we had one or two athletes who would wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah, and I get it. Uh, hey man, turn the music down. Why are you wearing earplugs? But um, I think it's I honestly I think it's okay. I think the AirPod thing. Um, is an okay thing to do. Well, uh, staying in that same kind of uh, pathway, talk to me a little about music. This is something that uh, you know, shouldn't really be talked about. I don't think, but it is kind of, it's a big deal for some people. Some people really are into the music. Yeah. They'll, they'll maybe avoid, I've heard people avoid a class because the coach doesn't play good music. Talk to me a little bit about how does the music influence the workout and what are some of the difficult situations that you've tried to uh, you know, come across when it comes to coaching yeah. I used to be such, I was like, you know, we were listening to like DMX on edited and this was, you know, like the filthiest yeah. music. Cause that's what yeah. I liked. Yeah. And then I started to realize I'm like, oh yeah, there are people in this class who really might not like what this guy's talking about or whoever. Um, so I'm way much, I'm a softy on this now. <laughs> like I'm totally like I'm corporate on this now. And so it's like edited music. 
upbeat music, you know, um, major chords, bright tones, 140 beats per minute. So I do think this is something you should consider as a coach and it's something you should check yourself on. I don't think, I don't think um, music is an opportunity for the coach just to bring every inch of their personality to cl- the music isn't there for the coach. It's not my listening session. Yeah. So um, that's not to say that like, Hey, some coaches might like a little more rap. Others maybe like a little bit more rock and roll or somebody likes a little bit more pop. And that shows up more when that coach is in the gym. But I'm a big fan of totally removing the need for this discussion at all. Like sit down with your coaches, create five or six playlists. It'll take a day. Everybody likes making playlists and you just have those suckers, you know, running on a, you know, reap DJs playlist, James's, you know, workout playlist. You just have those things, you know, available for all of your coaches to choose from. It takes out the need for people worrying about really vulgar language, things like that, whatever it is, or they might, you know, the coach who's like, Hey, you know, the coaches who are like, if you need music to work out, you should find a different profession. I would lose my mind. Or you should, you shouldn't be doing CrossFit. I would lose my mind if I saw a coach do that. Right. Cause the athletes aren't paying you to like have this learning experience about their own mental fortitude. They're there to be safe, get fitter and have a really excellent fitness experience in an hour. Um, so we should be accommodating of that. Um, there are a couple places where I might, you know, draw some lines in the sand, but I just think it's like, sit down, plan out some playlists, take care of this issue. It is part of the experience. It's not the most important part of the experience, but if you're going to be a group class coach, music is part of the experience. So just take care of it. It's just, it's, it should never be an issue after the first week, you know? Um, that's my take on it. And this is like, I love, I love screamy hard metal. I don't play that in class. Cause I know like the people, other people who like, like my one other buddy, Zach, he likes it, you know, but he's one out of 200. So we're not going to listen to that. Yeah, the music stuff is interesting, and something that's helped uh, our coaches along the way is of like, if you don't know, start your class with like introductions of, "Hey, who are you?" and "Who's your favorite band?" And then throughout the class, you can kind of play that. It's kind of like a sneaky way to make sure that you're getting, you know. I think one of the things is the coaches are like, "Man, I just don't, I just don't know what to play." So, and then they end up playing what they like, and so instead of using that as an excuse, just start asking. And a lot, it's funny, James. A lot of these answers, man, come back to asking questions. <laughs> yeah. It's and awesome. it's, it, and you're so right though, but it, it's, and it's that simple. And because it's, and I know coaches, this is how I know coaches are too concerned with this when they get mad. Well, they like to listen to this music and I'm like, Hey man, this is not your playlist. You're not right. the one working out. Right. It's about them. So shut up, <laughs> make the playlist they want to listen to. And then it's never a problem again. Like it's such a simple thing to have a solution to. And you know, someone is too wrapped around the axle about it when they get they get that passionate or worked up about something so simple. So just like make it easy for your class. Yeah. What you said was perfect. Well, I got two more. Number nine is the the social aspect. So understanding and effectively coaching a group class when some members are there just to have fun and quite honestly, be social while other members are there to get serious and possibly compete in the sport of CrossFit. This is a very, I don't think you can answer this in one shot. This is going to take a lot of experience and just time um, uh, in the trenches, if you will. But how do you balance a class that some people aren't there to make this the super serious part of the day and other people, quite honestly, they are. Yeah. So there are a couple of different ways. We've kind of already talked about how to address like the chatty, the chatty athletes in the gym. Um, At least I think we've talked about that enough. So like, that's a really good tool you know, making sure that you give them enough direction so that they're safe and they understand what they're supposed to do next, but they also have some freedom to, to, to have a, have a, um, what's we're looking for a social, social hour, social hour. Um, the other thing is just make sure that those social athletes 
aren't pulling the athletes who might be a little bit serious out of their groove. Like that's a really important thing just to watch out for. Um, a third thing that I would really think about with athletes who are more social is when versus athletes who are more serious is when you're at the whiteboard, give both, you know, give both parties a little something. Hey guys, if you really want to crush this workout today, here's what you need to do X, Y, and Z. Hey, if your goal today is just to come in and move and get a little taste of the workout, here's how I would attack this workout. You know, and again, that doesn't take more than three minutes. It does take a plan. It does take some experience on your part. Maybe you need to test out the workout. Maybe you need to be following the programming regularly to give that insight. But at the whiteboard, give, you know, I try and pick three parties of athletes, you know, give each one of those parties a little bit of a different twist on how to attack this thing. I think that's one of the most important things we can do for those athletes. And then again, I think it's really important in warm up time to have a balance of coach directed, I'm calling all the reps you're listening to me versus I'm still kind of watching you and calling some cues, but I'm letting you move at your own pace versus, hey guys, warm ups on the board. You can go through that for, for five minutes on your own. Then we're going to bring it in and chat about the whiteboard. Um, you know, I do think you should practice implementing all of those group management strategies because, again, by the end of the class, is that gives a little bit to everybody. The, the hardest part about a group class, and this is why I think people who are excellent group class coaches are just amazing, is because look at all the variables we've talked about that they have to manage, and we haven't even touched on half of them. Um, but those are a couple of strategies that I would, I would use. I don't know if, if those resonate with you. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. I like, I like giving people different ideas too. And, and um, I, I did this once and I kind of caught myself too, just on verbiage. Cause I think I said once it was like, Hey, if you want to do well on this workout, do this. And it's kind of like, well, I, I, I do want to do well, but I'm not looking to compete. So maybe thinking about how you use, I like the word attack that you use. If you want to attack this workout, you know, I want you to go on broken here, do this, do this. And then, you know, if you're not looking to push intensity, so maybe just start to cultivate the conversation a little bit more about the words you're using, just so that the people who aren't as serious still feel like they're invested in getting a good workout. Does that make sense, James? No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, starting with foundational stimulus talk is a great place. Hey, Everyone, the goal of this workout today is to use a weight that you feel is really heavy. And the goal with the wall ball is to do it in as few sets as possible for you. Because that way, it's like for you, few sets as possible is unbroken. Really heavy is 225. For um, you know me coming into class for the first week, few sets as possible is five. Um, heavy is 95. And I, you know, it's always, if, if you don't know anything else about how to relate to the group, simply speak in terms of the workout stimulus is that's a great place to start. It should take everyone about 10 to 15 minutes. And so that way, the people who want to be a little bit more social, a little bit more relaxed, cool. They're going to push to 15 minutes. We get way too wrapped around the axle being like, well, you, you miss the exact time stimulus. So you're not going to get all the fitness they need. Here's the deal. If they come into the gym and they're operating at an intensity, that's a little bit harder than what they do. 99% of the rest of their life, they're going to get fitter. Maybe not as fit and as fast as you want them to, but it is going to happen. We got to let go of that, you know, because that also allows me to, when, when DJs rolls into my gym, those athletes, I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to grind your ass today and you're going to hold on to that bar and it's going to be hard. And then the next person I'm like, Hey, how you feeling? Oh, that looks pretty good. All right, cool. Yep. Um, so yeah, you can always talk in stimulus. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head, man. Well, our last Not one surprised. Was, <laughs> thanks, man. Our last one for difficult situations here. Members who don't listen or take feedback, no matter how many times you try coaching them. So I'm thinking somebody that 
you know, they're deadlifting, you're giving them all these cues and you're just drilling, 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 and nothing's changing. Um, I say it with a smile on my face because I think we've all been there. I've been there for sure. And I'm like, what the hell? How is it? It's not clicking. James, that's a difficult scenario. What are your pieces of advice for coaches that are stuck in that spot? I mean, I mean, we could go for another 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> hour. Yeah, this is a this is a this is a big topic. And I think it's a big topic because they're again, um, this is that athlete we discussed, like everybody's been coming to your gym for five years. They have like two or three lingering issues that they just haven't gotten better at. And you've been beating them over the head with the knees out stick for the last 268 classes. Okay. <laughs> um, I think you go at this with a, with a perspective of triage. And this is my take on it is, are they safe? And I think, you know, without knowing more, you know, the, are they safe question is like, would you let your kid do it? And feel safe that your kid was doing, or I don't know, pick fill in the blank, whoever you're super, super concerned or cared about. Now, if they're safe, I think the next question that you can ask them is, Hey, what's one thing you want to get better at today? Like we said, a lot of this comes down to questions. Um, and a lot of this comes down to what coaching resources do you have? You might, it might take you a month to get to every athlete in your class who is this person. And that's hard and challenging and requires patience. But if they're safe, the next question is, what's the one thing you want to get better at? Because maybe there's something that they're focused on because it's at the priority of their brain. And that's the reason why you're giving them some cue on something else. And they're just missing it because they're so narrow-minded and focused on this other thing. Great. I want to know what you're focused on. I'm going to help you get better at that. Now, if they're not safe, you have to come to them from this place of you need to be safe. You're in here. I know you're in here to sweat. You're in here to go hard, but you can still sweat. You can still go hard and you need to stay safe because I want you to keep coming in. You need to stay safe because if you get hurt, nothing good happens at all. Unsafe athletes are bad for everybody in the gym. Now, luckily, CrossFit's pretty damn safe which means you don't have to be running around like a fireman with a fire hose, putting every fire out there. You know, you can take time. You can rank who is least safe, most safe in your class, and you can slowly address all those things over time. If they're not safe, you got to make them safe. Whether that's a one-on-one -on -one conversation coming to a place of love. Sometimes it, it requires you to be a little bit of a hard ass. And again, this problem is always easier dealt with early on than later on. Like if you have a gym where you've destigmatized scaling, where you're speaking to the stimulus regularly, where athletes are shooting for the stimulus, they're not either shooting for RX or bust. Um, these questions pop up way less. If you're already at the scenario where you do have this group of Billy badasses who don't want to listen to you no matter what, yeah, you got to start having these hard questions or these hard conversations. You got to rank them in terms of, are they safe? If they're not safe, we have to make them safe. And you have to address them in a way where they feel comfortable talking to you about why they're not listening to you. And then you have to come to them and say why they need to listen to you. Mm -hmm. At some point, you know, Joe DeGain, a mentor of mine on seminar staff for a long time, I might've said this to you before, but he said, Hey, when you step into my gym, you contract your fitness out to me. And again, I'll use the restaurant analogy is like, yeah, the chef doesn't come, come out and tell me how to eat the steak, but the chef doesn't also let me hop behind the, the line and start, you know, sticking my hands on the griddle. Like I have to still be safe. You know, I'm not allowed to jam the knife in my eye when I'm sitting in the restaurant. Like you can't be a dipshit when you're in the gym. Um, okay. They are safe. The next question I'll ask them, what's the one thing you want to work on? Or I'll just simply wait until so-and-so comes to me and they say, Hey coach, I've been at this for years. I'm not getting better at wall balls. How do I do it? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because when you squat down a wall ball, your heel always comes up off the ground. If you could keep that heel down, 
It's going to make everything better. And great. They have that one thing now and they'll probably charge at it super hard, or maybe it's something more uh, strategy related. It's because you always break everything up into singles. That's why you're not getting stronger. Hold on to that bar for sets of five, even if you get a worse time, because that's what's going to get you stronger and fitter, right? Because then we can apply our expertise to them. That's how I've always handled those things. I'm also a really pesky coach. Like when I'm in class, um, I'm always asking people, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And part of this is because that's my personality. Part of it's because I care. Part of it's because I've found that it's a successful solution to being more involved and concerned in people's fitness. Post-class, I'm like, hey, why'd you scale to ring muscle? Or why'd you scale to uh, a seated ring muscle up? I think you could do real ring muscle ups. Like I'm super involved and curious about your athletes. Like be really curious about what's going on and ask a lot of questions. So those are some strategies. I hope those are tangible. Those are some strategies I used to attack that. Um, you got to be brave enough every once in a while when you see someone who's a dumpster fire to just say no. And again, at first you're going to do it. And it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable and you're going to do it wrong. But if you see someone where you're like, wow, if my kid was doing that, I'd be worried about their safety. You've got to go say no. Because here's the deal. If that person gets hurt and you saw them moving like a real mess, yeah, a lot of that responsibility falls on them, but some of that falls on you and you don't, Absolutely. you don't, you don't want, you don't want to deal with that baggage, man. Like, yeah, totally. you know, I get it, man. That was cool. So 10, uh, difficult scenarios. Hopefully you guys got some good takeaways there, James. I'm going to close down with three, uh, quick fire answers for coaches here. I didn't prep you on these, so this is going to be on the top of your brain, but the first one here, uh, for coaches specifically, what's a coaching resource could be a, I don't know, documentary book, uh, uh, certification, something out there. What's one thing, uh, that, uh, coaches sh should get into if they have it yet. Um, well, right now, I just because it's one thing, you know, I would pick normally something categorical. I would point people toward the professional coach. You know, like I said, I know I'm biased. I know I'm kind of, kind of just riding the party line there, but the professional coach publication that's coming out from the CrossFit training department right now is really cool. Um, I think it's taking a look at coaching in a way that, um, we haven't necessarily advertised in CrossFit in a long time, as far as what is the journey of someone who wants to be a professional coach? How do you go through it? And all of the ins and outs of that, not just heels out, heels down, knees out, but also just logistical stuff <clears throat> about how do you go from part-time trainer to full-time coach? So I would really lean people in toward uh, the professional coach. If you have a level one, level two credential, level three, level four, you should be getting those emails anyway, but I'd really dive into that. Second one here is what are, in your opinion, what are four skills or qualities on the Mount Rushmore of coaching? Oh God four. Um, I said, we just talked about this with a friend the other day. Um, empathy. Um, you, you have to be able to, you have to have a willingness to put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. That's empathy. Um, or at least ask them what it feels like to be in their shoes. Right. Cause we can't always assume next one would be situational awareness. Next one would be energy. Whatever your energy is, you have to be willing to be, bring an amplification of energy to the class of what your normal energy is that makes people want to be friends with you. You need to bring an amplification to that to class. And everybody has one. Fourth one, um, white belt mindset, I guess. Um, white belt mindset slash humility. Yeah. You know, you... you um, even given the best interest, you might not know the best way to help somebody. So go find the tool set to do it. Find different, you know, someone else who can do it better than you. I don't know. And then maybe that one would be like another slash, know what you know, know what you don't know. I feel like all of those three are kind of 
crammed together. So, I mean, if you have humility and empathy, you will be someone who wants to continually learn to help others. So, but that would be my four. Last question. Last question of the day. Best coaching advice that somebody has given to you. Oh man. Um, Best coaching advice someone has ever given to me. (laughs) A long time ago, uh, one of my coaches said to me, this is the best coaching advice, but it's funny. Um, he said, don't coach the pretty athlete. You know, we always like, not anymore, happily married. But, you know, I think that like, you could feel pretty athlete or like best friend in class. Like you always have this one athlete in class that you just get you gravitate toward. Yeah, There's yeah. a buddy of mine that I had at CrossFit Boston. He moved away. But like when he was in class, I would just go talk with Pat the entire time. Yeah. He would get all the coaching. It's like, you know, stay away from that. Not, don't, not stay away, but watch out for that ethics. because it's easy to get too wrapped into coaching them. Um, best coaching advice I've ever received. I think it was something I received indirectly from a book I was reading, but it really was this notion that was like, despite your best intentions or experience, you don't always have the answer. In coaching, you don't always have the answer to somebody else's fitness problems. Mm. And that's a really scary scary scenario, right? Because people come to my gym for fitness advice, fitness improvement. Um, But at the same time, it did put me in a place where it was like, cool, I want to help. I can't always help. So least I can do is listen and maybe find somebody else or find some other way to help. Um, That's helped me be a really good coach because for a long time, I had this attitude of I'm a decade, you know, decade member seminar staff. I'm, you know, decade plus an affiliate. I could do no wrong. I know all the ins and outs of coaching. If you have a fitness problem, I know how to fix it. And honestly, that's just, there are a lot of times where that will fall on its face because regardless, if you know the answer, that might not be what the person needs. So yeah, indirectly, that would be it. Just understanding that whether or not you do know the answer, that just might not be the way to help that person, if that makes sense. Um, that was some good coaching advice. I think I've received like you know, in metaphor, sure. experience, experientially watching other people. Yeah. Super cool. James, this was fun, man. I love it. This is really good. Yeah, stuff. I, I chatted I'm, way too much, but that's, no, okay. that's, I'm sorry. that's what I'm here for, man. I love it. I think there's a <laughs> lot of applicable things for, for coaches to take out. How can my uh, listeners support you, James? Um, my Instagram's uh, James Hobart or at James Hobart. Um, if people want to check out what we've been up to at CrossFit and with the CrossFit affiliate programming, um, they can go to CrossFit.com, click on the programming button and head o- or CrossFit.com slash programming and head over to see what we have in store for affiliates uh, via cap. But uh, always happy to, I'm a terrible DMer, as I already told you, DJ, and <laughs> I'm always happy to, happy to reach out. So I appreciate that. And um, Good luck to you this year, man. I'm excited to watch to watch you uh, get out there and compete again. So yeah, it should be a fun year. Thanks for taking the time, man. It's two years, uh, two years too long, and I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy yeah. schedule, guys. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to post on your Instagram. Let, let me hear what, what what you got out of it. What's the biggest coaching cue that you took away from it that you're going to take to the gym? I'd love to hear it. I know James would too. And then we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care. Yeah.